welcome to Craft, Design, Edit, Sleep, Repeat with hosts Lisa Conway and Nikki Jensen. Listen as we take a deep dive into the business of fiber craft design. Okay, good morning, good afternoon, welcome. I have with me today Nikki, as usual. Now, thank you, Hello. Nikki. I'm so happy to have you with us on a regular <laughs> basis. And I have Paul Hazemeyer. Paul is one of Nikki's wonderful regular clients, and he's got a very unique background that I'm really looking forward to digging into. Um, so let's get started. Paul, I know you started in costume designing, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Okay. So tell us, how did you get into designing? And then as it progressed, how did you transfer from costume designing to knitwear designing, or do you still do both? Yeah, totally. Um, it, I immediately thought of back in my freshman year of undergrad, we had to write a paper for a class that was the toys that define us. And I realized then that I've kind of always loved design, costume design, fashion design, making clothing, because I remembered, wait, I was making tissue paper gowns for my uh, Hallmark Beanie Babies and my Build-A-Bear. And one of my, like, one of, when I first started knitting, my mom designed a pattern for a sweater for my Build-A-Bear. So she knit part of it. I finished it back and forth, and that's how we learned. So I feel like I've almost always loved clothing design in particular and exploring that. As I got older, junior high is doing a lot of sketching, drawing, and I'm like, oh, I love this whimsical playing with, with costumes in particular where I'd ask classmates saying, hey, give me a prompt. And they give me a random prompt. I'm like, great, whipped out a sketch on lined paper. And I have a whole folder back home at my parents' house just full of sketches. And I just forget how many I have of them. So that's really fun to look at those later. So really like from a young age, I kind of always knew I wanted to do design, do creative stuff. Um, grew up watching a lot of movies, Disney, et cetera. And I loved character design. And as I got older and with some teachers who saw me, they're like, hey, would you be interested in costume design? I'm like, why? Yes, I didn't know this was a career path. And I really, it really didn't click as this is, a real career until I was an undergrad, met up with my costume design professor, Professor Andrea Bear at Wabash College, and she and I are still best friends. We chat nearly every day, and it's been really fun just seeing where they intersect uh, with knitting, and I always love, like, if I'm designing for a show, like, okay, which character is the knitter? How do I explore this? What are my tells for this character? Because as a costume designer, I am required to almost to know the characters better than the actors or even the directors because it's because wearing a garment is something so natural without thought, quote unquote, but it's usually done subconsciously. So it it's interesting how much thought it takes. But in this world, we think clothing is less work. It's quote unquote women's work. So it's not respected nearly as much as other departments and thankfully costume design industry is working on that. Yay. Um, and 
currently I am working as a costumer at Alabama Shakespeare Festival as a stitcher. I'm not a designer at Alabama Shakespeare Festival, but I help make the costumes. So the costume designer will come in, give our team the designs. I have a supervisor who makes the patterns and cuts them out. And then they throw the pieces at me. I put them together and I get to see them on stage in the end. So I have a lot of fun, um, both full-time in that position and then knitwear-wise. I take a lot of those skills and apply them to my knitwear in terms of these are the shapes I'm working with every day. How do I apply them to knitwear? A lot of my designs incorporate a lot of seams because I love a good seam because they last forever. It's stable. It makes it in more of an heirloom knit. And my brain just thinks in terms of geometry a lot of the times. I'm sure as Nikki has seen in my uh, pattern writing where it's like, here's the shapes I need. What are like, how do the ends justify my means? So yeah, that's kind of how my knitwear design is influenced by costume design and vice versa. I love to keep doing costume design as I keep moving forward. We're just going to see what happens. We're taking it one day at a time. That's great. So you're still doing both and and really they've integrated from the very beginning. 100%. 100%. Gotcha. Okay, that's really cool cuz it's there's there's really a lot of of crossover. I mean, look at how many of the big popular TV shows, for example, you can spot the nits throughout, you know, I'm thinking Outlander. I'm thinking Harry Potter. I'm thinking um, oh, the other one I was. Oh, um, Gilmore Girls. Oh, yeah. And it was very subtle in the Gilmore Girls, where in the other two, it's kind of a little bit more in your face, right? But Gilmore Girls, it was, you you could spot those knits and just like, Oh yeah, that costumer did such a great job of matching that knit to that that character, right? Mm-hmm. I I did not watch Gilmore Girls until way after it was off the air. But I watched it and it was so fun to watch the clothing. Because I came at it from the designer, from the tech editor point of view of Oh yeah, that's really cool. So yeah, that's really neat yeah. that it crosses over. I totally. definitely that too. I uh, was one. I think the Mindy Project. She has some awesome like knit argyle vests that are just so Mindy. The colors they chose. Love cool. to see a good knit in in <laughs> well, TV. <laughs> yeah, totally. And then um, lately, it's been Banshees of Inisherin with Colin Farrell. And I was going to um, mention that too. Yeah. <laughs> Like they've been New York Times articles about the the old the little old lady in Ireland who knit those sweaters and how they treated them and it's been interesting. I think twenty twenty like lockdown kind of I what's the word I'm looking for kind of catalyzed a lot of the crafting movement and seeing everything because people were at home doing knitting. But it's like wait here it is in production design and I love how you brought up Mindy does the Mindy project because. I need to remember who is the knitwear designer because they were interviewed by Interweave Knits a few years ago, and she and her she and her husband live full time, and she does knitwear for television very regularly. She did Hocus Pocus. Um, 
she did Mindy Project and this one other show. I don't remember, but it was oh, Stranger Things. That's what it was. She became uh, she was interviewed when Stranger Things, the latest season of Stranger Things, came out. Right, right. Well, and the knitting world is actually looking at how the television movies are affecting at home hand knitters. Right. It's becoming a much bigger thing all the way across. So it's really fun to watch that that metamorphosis and that coming together of the two. So how do you think your the sewing side of your business influences the knitting side? Good question. Um, I definitely I think in terms of like I had seams, I. I, what I've learned is I often think in terms of shapes first. I'm working on a new design that I'm still figuring it out. And what I did first was, um, was a, like working on a pair of shorts. And these shorts are basically taken directly from a pair of shorts I already own. And had a friend of mine help me figure out how to pattern it. So we just patterned it on a piece of paper. And then I'm like, okay, let's go in here, figure out the basic shapes, figure out the gauges, apply that. So it's very much a hands-on process where I like to visualize shapes. And I have some books that help like develop a men's sloper. Um, I just got this book that's a fundamental design to men's casual wear. And I'm like, perfect for shapes and different things to see how people do things and constant inspiration. And I get a lot of inspiration from working on different cost, uh, costumes, working with different designers. I remember working at Santa Fe Opera and I ran out of time because I didn't have time to finish the submission, but we worked on these very strange space opera suits with these spiral sleeves. And I'm like, how can I do a spiral sleeve with a sweater? <laughs> and I still want to figure it out, but I've been working on some other stuff instead. <laughs> so it's like, I it's nice as in costuming, there's more chances taken compared to even fashion sometimes. And I really love seeing how the drapers and the designers problem solve. And then I always just always think, oh, how can I net this? That's just, my, my mind just goes there automatically. How can I net this? <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to throw in here, do you consider yourself a knitter or a sewist more? Which one do you consider you are first? Knitter first. That was knitter my first. Sewist second. Okay. Yes. But like both have so much bleed over. But I remember last season chatting about knitting with some colleagues. And I was like, wow, so your whole life just revolves around knitting. And I'm like, I guess you're right. I haven't put, I haven't really said it like that, I'd say, but you are correct. <laughs> so. Yeah. And that's what I notice with your knitting designs is your approach to construction is really unique. Um, you know, we're not getting like the, I, I think that people design what they know a lot of the time. Like if you've knit a lot of yoke sweaters, then you're comfortable designing a yoke sweater. And if your experience, Paul, is working with seamed geometric shapes, then that's kind of the construction that you're more comfortable with. And so that was one of the reasons I wanted to invite you on here is because the 
the types of constructions that I get from you in my inbox as a tech editor are so different from what I get from some of my other clients. And uh, I always really enjoy seeing what you come up with. Thank you. Yeah. I, when I work on stuff, I'm like, okay, Nikki, let's see what happens here. Let's figure this out. And um, it really comes in handy having the sewist background, because if I'm working on a knitwear project, I'm like, something seems off here, just looking at it. And I think we can all get to that part intuitively with knitting. And for me, it's like, not even so much the fabrics, but I'm like, wait a second, this dimension seems off. Why is that? And with this shorts pattern I was just designing, I'm like, why does this seem too long? And I realized mm-hmm. this yarn likes to, I don't know if it shrinks exactly, but it just kind of like pulls in and does, it just changes dimensions so much from the original to blocked. And I'm like, okay, Paul, here's another example of trust your knitting, even mm-hmm. though I don't mm-hmm. always trust it when it's on my knitting. So, what kind of fiber content was it? That was the exact quaint, same question Did you say I cotton? had in my head. It was like fiber. Yeah, it's cotton. It's an oh, organic yeah. cotton. It's always cotton. <laughs> yeah. It's every lovely. time I <laughs> Yes, but every time I get a uh, a design to to edit that's knitting cotton, we always have gauge problems every single time. That's like the biggest thing I see as a tech editor. Yeah. yeah. So uh, just just remember <laughs> in a few weeks when I'm done with that, just remember <laughs> this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, we haven't well, recorded. <laughs> and yes. the other thing about cotton, too, is on the needles, it's one. Blocked, it's two. Worn, it's three. Mm-hmm. Because the worn <laughs> garment will tend to lengthen. It will tend to stretch. Yeah, definitely. I had one recently that um, they just wrapped the test knit and every almost everybody said, oh, it's too long. And I said, well, that's because it's cotton and your gauge swatch is going to be very different in terms of row gauge than when you put it on your body. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And now I'm kind of now you got me rethinking about this project. We're going to just keep going and see what happens. Well, and, but oh. it did it. The fact that you've added, if you've added side seams, it will stretch a lot less. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, a cotton garment absolutely has to have seams. You cannot do a cotton garment in the round because it will stretch so much on the body and every time time you wear it it'll stretch more until it just reaches a point where it's unwearable but with seams the seams um stabilize it so it's the perfect type of fiber to consider doing flat with seams it really Mm -hmm. is great i'm much more encouraged now (laughs) it is seams it has pockets um it's knit sideways for the technique i'm using just I've been liking the sideways knitting lately in different ways. And um, yeah, yay. I'm much more encouraged now. <laughs> that's another thing that'll probably help. Although watch that it doesn't stretch widthwise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, do a really mm-hmm. good test and make sh- and and actually wear them for a little bit because they may you may find that it stretches widthwise instead of lengthwise. 
Yeah, you'll possibly. have to uh, have to take your measurements before and after wearing. Yeah, and see how much it changes. Yep, definitely. I'll be I'll be doing but that. That's you know almost fifty years of experience talking. <laughs> I appreciate it. This is why we're here to chat about all the things. So Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, Nikki, I think you've got some questions too. Oh, don't yeah. You? Yeah. So I, we kind of touched on this a bit already, but my next question was going to be, um, what are the similarities or differences in designing for sewing versus knitting? Cause I don't have a sewing background at all. Yeah. Uh, designing for sewing, you it's it's stretch it's stretch for knitting it's interesting just because i feel like sometimes my margin of error is less just because it's so time consuming because if i do something wrong with the sewing project i can cut out a new piece if i need to and i just have a scrap piece of fabric later with knitting i feel like sometimes like the amount of planning i put into writing a pattern is like okay let's see what happens and but I've kind of learned with some garments as I do this is like, okay, we're writing this as we go, figuring out how do I write it well for myself as I go. And those are really the big differences. And some rules apply to sewing that don't apply to knitting, but the generic like rule of shapes still apply. Um, what is interesting, I just found out um, my relationship with ease defer like just it's it it differs from sewing to knitting because I was working on a shirt over Christmas just for fun and I was practicing some pattern making out of this uh, draping book and I'm like why do they want nine inches of ease or seven inches of ease this doesn't make sense because in my knitting brain I'm like used to like if I want something close fitting it's four to six inches and I'm like oh, I do need this much ease around my arms to actually move in it in a woven garment. Mm -hmm. So it's been an interesting just thought process changing my view of ease between my brains because those rules often just change so much. And so that's been a fun lesson to learn. Um, I think those are really the big differences. And yeah. That makes, yeah, that makes total sense because the type of fabric that you're working with in knitting is much stretchier, much drapier than uh, a woven fabric, like you said. Yeah. And of course, it again, it depends on fiber, right? And what the, the, fi what the fabric is woven out of, but still it's, mm -hmm. there's a, a huge difference there. And the fact that you came from the knitting side into the sewing side, really, it does change a little bit the, that mindset. Hundred percent. I, I find that I find that really interesting. That I I have an another person, a friend, who did the opposite. He was a couture tailor turned knitter. And so his entire picture is is completely opposite of what we're talking about here. It's it's very interesting to to compare in my head the two of you. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Like even myself going from being a knitter first to then trying to design and crochet, I have the same kinds of things. I think I I approach pattern writing the way that a knitter would, not necessarily the way someone writing a crochet pattern who's like a native crocheter, so to speak, would approach it. Right. Yeah. I may um, have to try that just for fun. Writing a crochet pattern? Yeah. Yeah. Just, just for fun. <laughs> yeah. It'll stretch you, I think. I need to learn crochet first. And I have a friend of mine back home. He's like, Paul, would you come back? We're teaching you how to crochet. I'm like, okay, sounds good. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I learned to crochet as a teenager. And I, I like it for different reasons than knitting. Um, so... I, I dabble in both, but I still always feel like I'm a knitter first. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, another thing I wanted to ask you, Paul, is who do you um, knit and design for, I guess, your your audience? I really design for myself first. I want to create stuff that I'd want to wear that I find interesting in particular. Like even sometimes if I wear, like if I design something that I don't wear very often, at least I have some sort of interest in it where I'm like, oh, this is a different shape, silhouette, technique. Um, and I really like to design for like male bodies, men's bodies like myself, just because there's not as many patterns out there that are very that match my style that that kind of bohemian more artistic spirit because a lot of men's wear patterns for knitwear it seems like it's very classic or very avant-garde I kind of want to blend the two um I kind of been thinking myself as I kind of want to be the Ralph Lauren of knitwear in a way where it's like I'm creating these narratives in these characters behind my designs. And I love, that's what I really love exploring. And my latest design, um, I just got the rights back, is the Fearless Pullover. And their theme was confidence. And I'm like, ooh, let's play with this. And like, okay, let's think Harry Styles with pearls. Let's do this, let's do this. And I really originally designed it as a men's sweater. And they're like, hey, I'm asking them, like, hey, who's going to be wearing this? Like, oh, it's going to be a woman, but we'll uh, market it as a unisex sweater. And it it hasn't necessarily, like, it hasn't been marketed directly as that. But it's like, okay, how do I then market this more as they, like, hey, this is a sweater for everyone, not just for a woman's body, because that's what it's been advertised on right now. Still a beautiful, beautiful sweater. I love that sweater to death. But um, that's really kind of the mindset I come from of how can I kind of push those boundaries? How do I look to the past in particular to influence my designs currently? Just because fashion changes so much with the times and it's fun to take a look at what did men used to wear and how can I make it apply now? I think um, your Stellar Sailor sweater is a fantastic example of that. I am I'm obsessed with the photos that you got for that design. Um, and I, as soon as you said, like, you try to create a character, that's immediately what my head went to. Because when I see the the pictures of the model wearing that sweater, it it just has so much personality. 
Thank you. Yeah, that was a really fun project because that was my first knit, uh, first sweater design, first knitwear pattern that I've published. Really, it was my senior year of undergrad. I uh, it was part of my senior thesis, and I designed a whole collection of menswear exploring masculine identities and combining the past with the present and looking towards the future. And that one was kind of a like, how do we combine space travel with a classic Aaron knit and it was it was a really fun one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I love what I'm hearing about your process, the way you take an image of what you think a a person's personality and how they could express it in their clothing. I love that. What I'm that that just sounds so so different and so fascinating. Uh, yeah, it's, I, it's really exciting. <laughs> Thank it you. Is. I feel like that really sums up Paul's approach to uh, to design, and that's what I just love about his patterns. Well, yeah, I'm I'm super excited. Um, I hear that you designed something for Uma Thurman. <laughs> yes, 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 I did. Uh, that was my. That was summer of 2019. I was working at Williamstown Theater Festival. It was my first professional theater gig as a summer stock. I was an intern. And I was reading through the play scripts before I went. And I was reading a new translation of Henrik Ibsen's Ghosts. And I read, I forget what the character's name is, um, the main female character. She's a knitter throughout the play. And I'm like, hmm, this could provide an interesting opportunity for me. And at the beginning of the summer, I let my supervisors know, Nicole Slavin, she's an incredible costume designer in currently in New York City. We're still close friends. We had dinner when I was at Vogue Knitting Live last February. And I said, hey, if we need anything knitting related, just let me know. This is I, like, I, I knit. And it was before I started doing more design stuff. And I remember my other supervisor, Nora Fisher, at the time, she was like, well, Paul, have you ever considered doing knit knit design? And I'm like, a little bit, not quite yet, like, because I was just in the throes of undergrad. And I'm like, I, I knew I kind of wanted to, but it wasn't the priority at the time. And I think it was July, July, beginning of August, um, end of July, beginning of August, uh, my supervisor came in and we're like, Paul, you're making this shawl for the production. Go. And I'm like, okay. So <laughs> it was fun because that night I went on a walk in the evening, walking around Williamstown, Massachusetts on the campus. And I called my mom first thing. She's usually my first person I talk to about a new design or a new project. And she was uh, in it where Kim Hazenmeyer some, uh, some of your listeners might know her as Big Sky Yarns and Crafts, and she was a knitwear designer for about 10 years from 2004, 2005 to about 2015. And so I grew up with a knitwear designer too. So I've known bits and pieces of the industry growing up. So it's been fun to discuss the differences then and now. And we came up with a game plan. I researched different lace patterns. Um, it was nice because we were only a few hours away from the Webb's warehouse and yarn store. So we drove to the, me and a design assistant drove to the yarn store. I nerded out so heavily being in this giant yarn <laughs> store and I knew webs, of course. And we picked up skeins of yarn because what we did was picked up different 
uh, yarn options for Uma for uh, Uma Thurman for Ms. Thurman. Um, and I printed off a lot of different lace options. I did not design the lace pattern because I knew we didn't have time to design lace. We just found some motifs that we liked, got them double checked with the costume designer. And costume designer was like, I like these. I'm like, great. Then we went to rehearsal, brought the yarn options and the lace options, and we let her choose what, what she would like and what was her most favorite thing. And she selected the pattern. She she selected Madeline Tosh's uh, DK Farm Twist, which I'm like, of course, just selected Madeline Tosh. And she's also a knitter. I heard some knitters have seen her at Ryan Beck. And of course, the director was confused by the twisted skeins that are not wound in a ball yet so director's like how do you know with those and she quickly displayed with her hands how it worked and she was saving her voice so she wasn't speaking that morning which is kind of funny <laughs> but we got everything <laughs> taken care of and so we got we picked up the rest of the yarn we grabbed it um we had a few issues because i called them like hi can you hold this yarn for me they gave me the yarn colors didn't realize until we got back so we drove back out there grabbed the correct yarn switched it out came back wound it all by hand because we didn't have any of the equipment to wind it into center full balls and then we also ordered double of it and just in case something all hell goes wrong with the shawl and i need another new one so for 40 hours that week, I was just sitting upstairs, listening to audiobooks, away from the rest of the costume shop, just knitting like a madman. And Williamstown Theater Festival is interesting because it's a lot of big television and Broadway names like to go up there that summer. And it's hilarious because I went down there during a break and my friend's like, Paul, Amanda Seyfried was in here. I'm like, wait, what? And Amanda Seyfried was there that week because her husband's in a play. She was doing a cabaret performance and um as well as a few other stars so that week on my we got a daily list of here's what the interns are doing and it was paul knit like a madman i'm like great i can mm -hmm. do that so i just went up there <laughs> just knit 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 um then i quick rigged it because she was knitting on stage so i was able to rig it in a way so it wouldn't completely fall apart i would reset it every day and she, she said she could do it but i'm like i just wanted to take care of it for her at one point, there was some miscommunication about how she wanted it set for the stage, and she was trying to communicate it through this, um, the wardrobe master who was trying to tell me. And I'm like, the, the channels, it, like, there wasn't good communication. I'm like, you know, we're, we'll figure it out. So at one point, I'm pressing something at the ironing board, and the stage management intern comes like, Paul, Uma would like to see you. And I'm like, okay. And... <laughs> So I just follow him into her dressing room and she's in costume already. And she's like, hi, um, I'd like it if you could just leave this. If, if you're setting this and you're presetting this, I'd like it done, partially done through the row so I can just pick it up and knit. I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Totally. Because I, what I was doing was just finishing it so she can start a new row on stage. But it makes sense if she wants it started mid row just to make it easier to knit on stage. And I'm like, oh yeah, we can do that. The wardrobe supervisor, who is also an intern, came into the dressing room, looked at me, he's like, what are you doing in here? The director comes in, like, who are you? And she and Uma, and I'm like, oh, I'm the knitter. He's the knitter. It's like, oh, I love the shawl. It's beautiful. I'm like, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. I leave the dressing room after a chat with Uma. And the head of wardrobe overall is like, what are you doing in there? And I'm like, I'll tell you later. It was just so surreal <laughs> just because I, I was a technical intern. I was never really backstage very often. I was just in the costume shop building costumes. 
And so that was a really fun experience. I'd reset it. I remember one time I was resetting the shawl and she comes in to grab some food and she's like, oh, thank you so much for doing this. You don't have to. I'm like, no, no, I, I appreciate it. I want to make sure it's taken care of. And she's like, as she's leaving, she says to me, you know, I love, I love an object with emotional weight to it. And I feel like I just had it and she leaves and I'm like, just touched. And um, my, my parents got to see the first preview performance. And I didn't know how it was exactly utilized in that production. And my mom's like, Oh, it's such a big player. I'm like, what do you mean? And I watched it later and she's working on it throughout the play. And at the end, her son is dying of syphilis because that's how all Ibsen plays go. Someone dies. <laughs> and she grabs her needles. She rips the shawls off the needles and drapes it around her son as he's dying. Oh, and, wow. Yeah. And the review came out for the play in the New York Times and my shawls in this photo of him dying. So but I'm uncredited, but my work's in the New York Times. So I'm just screaming internally still. But <laughs> to even think about it, just it that's so huge. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. It like the and then like by the end of the the season, the stage managers are like Paul, you just need to take the shawl. I'm like, no, I can't do that. But we ordered double the yarn, so they let me keep the rest of the yarn. So I have like 10 skeins of Madeline Tosh back home that I haven't done anything with yet. I think it's been discontinued, so I'll turn it into someone else's design. But it's it was absolutely surreal and wonderful. And I still think so fondly upon that experience. I, I think I would have wanted the shawl to be given to Uma. Same. And I don't know why she didn't keep it or what happened. I think it's in storage somewhere. It was just kept with the production package. I don't know what happened to it. Oh, wow. That just gives me chills. It's just, oh, what an amazing way to start your career. It, really. It was. I mean, it's, it was like right at the beginning of, of things. Oh, my gosh. How amazing. Of course, then we went into pandemic. <laughs> yeah yeah it's not a big effect well that that's what happened because 2019 i did like that was a really big year for me professionally because I, that was my first summer gig i did a um quote-unquote off-campus study slash study abroad in new york city doing professional internships for college credit with the metropolitan opera costume shop and a off-broadway um company called new life theater project so I was there for three months and, and that was 2019. So once I got back from my 2020 semester undergrad, I'm like, let's go, let's do this, let's do this. And it completely shut down, just, you know, world, like the rug ripped out from under my feet. So um, it like, yes, 2019 was yeah. one of my banner years to just kick off everything. Well, it, it'll get back. It'll, it'll yes. come back. I think it's, I think it's coming back. I think it's back. Well, was was the pandemic any? Did it have any effect on you moving and expanding out to pattern writing? Ah, uh, sort of, yeah, in a way. Um, yeah, what had like knitting was definitely my 
that was my coping mechanism during the lockdown was, was like, I can't sew. I just can't touch a sewing machine. I'll just get my knitting because I know knitting. And I had some, I thrifted some rug yarn from a flea market in New York City. And I was just wanting to feel connected to the city somehow because I was there spring break when the world shut down. So I just felt the city just kind of collapsing around me. And it was such a place of freedom for me. And then to feel it as such a place of turmoil was just strange. And so I, what I did was I found this vintage knitwear pattern. It was like 1930s. You can get one of those $5 patterns off of Etsy. Because I was just curious how it's constructed. And what I did was I changed it from fingering weight to use the worsted weight rug yarn. So that was kind of like me starting to play it out. And I had done a little bit of like, not so much pattern writing, but making my own designs from other people's books. So that helped me just have that creative spark, feel connected to New York City, help feel correct, connected to the world. And that summer I signed up because I didn't have anything else going on. Nora Gone needed test knitters for her latest design with Brooklyn Tweed. And that was the Hardigan pullover. And that was knit with Peary. I got to work with Nora a little bit as a test knitter and did some photos with some friends. And um, that took off quite a bit more than I thought it would. It was posted by Brooklyn Tweed in January 21. And that's how I got in my Instagram bio, the love child of Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock, because someone commented <laughs> that. And I'm like, okay, this is sticking now. <laughs> That like that's that that's what like led a lot of people to my to my work was that test knit which was really cool so um and I got to wear that pullover to Vogue Knitting Live I brought it with me and I was wearing it that day. I'm like hopefully I'll see Nora today and we had kind of, we met each other the day before and then all of a sudden we were on the Vogue Knitting floor and I hear someone say Nora that's one of your designs and I turn around and it's Nora and her friend Judy. And I'm like, well, hi, I was like, I was hoping to see you. So now I have a photo of Nora and I with the Hardigan pullover, kind of one of the, what the other, like the sweater that helped kicked it all off. That's great. That's great. So I've been told that you, and what I'm hearing is you tend to work towards inclusivity, gen, you know, especially gender inclusivity. You're looking to make patterns that are are more up to date but kind of cross over a little bit and give male sweater wearers a better spectrum what kind of challenges are you facing with being able to do things that span both genders i think it's really sizing that's hard. And I think it's it's been hard for me to find male test knitters because usually I get a lot of women test knitters, which is great. I love it. And then, of course, the biggest comment I get from test knitters are, the sleeves are so long. I'm like, yes, because they're designed for my body. <laughs> so, and that's when I always tell them you can adjust. Always feel free to adjust sweater patterns to your body. Like, And that's what we do constantly as knitters with other people's patterns is how do we make it fit for our body? And so that's really kind of what my focus is, is I don't really worry about, is this too feminine? Is this too masculine? I, I will say sometimes I will go too feminine just because 
I love a ruffle every once in a while, but I don't wear a ton of them. So I'm like, I want to just make sure that my designs, that anyone feels like they can wear them, that they can see themselves in my designs in some way or fashion. I may have a few people I'll send your way for potential test knitters. Thank you. I appreciate it. I've got a couple of, of people that I know that may, I don't know how many test knits they do, but if if they're interested, um, they're good men knitters that would have a good range of sizes to knit for. So I, I'll bring you up in my group. And Thank you. I really out. appreciate it. I and yeah. plus I love just seeing what men knit, what men wears, eh, what men knitters are up to. There we go, words. And it was just fun because even at Vogue Knitting Live, whenever I saw a male knitter, I'm like, hey, how you doing? Like, I just feel like we already have kind of this automatic connection and we already mm-hmm. have this connection to the feminine spirit through knitting, through learning, through often a woman in our lives. So it's, I always want to make sure I feel like I, I empower men knitters in a way just because there's not too many of us out there and I just want to have fun along the way. I I think that's a a true statement. I think... Men knitters have a tendency to be closet knitters. (laughs) You know? Yes. We need to get you guys out and socializing more and joining our groups more. Because we, I know that the, the guild that I participate in here locally, which I say locally very loosely, because while there is one closer, I, I prefer the one that's an hour away <laughs> when I can go. I haven't been able to go for quite a while. Um, we always love it when the men come in and we try so hard to keep them coming. And for some reason, because they're the only guy, they tend to disappear on us. And that's so sad because I, there's they have so much to give to the group. Yeah, it's interesting because... I have been that man where I am the only man in the group and I've always been comfortable with women. So it's never been a bad thing, but I always appreciate it when I'm able to meet a male designer or a male knitter. And, and I, um, I lost my train of thought. Um, Cause a, I've been like tokenized. I remember my, I work for yarn bar at Billings, Montana shout out there. And I love them dearly, but there are a few times where it's like, my boss is like, hey, Paul, can you come in for photos so you can be the male knitter? I'm like, yeah, that's fine. I can do that. <laughs> and it's not a bad thing, but I'm like, hey, like, I'm not here just because I'm a man. I'm here because I am a good knitter. I'm a good designer. And I think it's hard because I think sometimes knitters can feel like, oh, I'm only getting attention because I'm a man. I'm like, no, you're talented. You've been knitting for years. You're very talented. And that's how it is. And um, I think one of my favorite experiences with with communities was when I was in New York City in 2019. New York City 2019. That was not like the peak of my life, but it was a high point. And I did the <laughs> New York City yarn crawl. And I didn't know it existed until the day it was happening. I'm like, wait, what? There's a yarn crawl? So I toured all over all like the uh, Manhattan and Brooklyn. And one night I ended up in String Thing Studio that Felicia Eve owns. And I was there that night and I have never seen such an energetic group of knitters before. 
because everyone is chatting, gabbing. Um, Gigi was there, and her daughter Shelby was there, and Shelby looks at me and is like, Rosé? And I'm like, yes. And it was absolutely magical, and I met um, Gregory... Oh, what is his last name? He's a crochet designer. Um, um, he goes by Gregory Stitch. Yes, that's right. That is actually not his real name. I can't remember what um, his real name is. But, oh, my God, to, to get to meet him. Yeah, I got to meet him. I met Louis uh, Borea of Brooklyn Boy Knits. Yep. Um, and I ran into him at, uh, at Vogue Knitting Lab. Like, hey, I don't know if you remember me. I just want to give you my card. It's lovely to meet you again. I got to meet Felicia again, reconnect. And so that night was like, I met all the, like all the, I didn't know there were big names at the time because I was still kind of starting off. And now I'm like, wait, I met Gigi. I didn't realize how big this was. <laughs> I was invited to their men's knit night because there's men's knit nights in New York City, not so much anywhere else which I want to change. We'll figure that out. We'll figure out a game plan. We'll, we'll strategize later. And um, it just, it, it, like, it was magical because even when I was at Vogue Knitting Live, it was my first night there. It was Thursday night. And um, I ran into Nico Duke. And I met him in Manhattan in 2019, too. I was like, Nico, how are you? It's good to see you. He's like, oh, hey. And we were just chit-chatting. He's like, hey, just want to let you know there's a men's knitting group at um, oh, what is the Upper East Side store? Nitty City. And I was like, oh, great. Yeah, I'll show up. So I went there after I had dinner with a friend of mine. And it was absolutely magical and wonderful. An actor was there who was in the revival of Oklahoma, which I got to see in 2019. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I love that production. It was incredible. And connect with male knitters that way. And I got to see them at the conference. And I'm just like, just so like, thankful that uh there there's a common yarn between us pun intended yeah yes i agree completely we have i think up here i live in alaska and where i see the men joining in most is with the spinners and the weavers we very rarely get them in the knit groups which is like i said it's for me it's sad because i think there's so much that we learn from you, right? About sizing, about male aesthetic, right? It's because we knit for our husbands, they've got one aesthetic, but a male knitter has a completely different viewpoint. Mm -hmm. And one of the things mm -hmm. I'm going to say right now that I've absolutely loved about the pandemic is it's connected me with a much more diverse group of knitters remind me to give you an invitation when we're done yes yes please <laughs> thank you i will <laughs> all right so yeah. i was gonna say we talked about so many things just now but there were a couple of things that i i sort of wanted to pull out of that um because the original question was about designing for gender inclusivity and one of the things that I wanted to point out was um, if you, you know, a lot of, a lot of probably a lot of our listeners and certainly a lot of my clients or most of my clients are female. Um, and a lot of us tend to model for ourselves because we probably designed it based on our own sizing. But something that I think we could 
do better is perhaps hire models if we have a budget for it so that we can show people that different types of people and different types of bodies can still wear this design. And another thing that Paul said about um, his test stits that I think is really important is you can adjust lengths pretty easily in knitting if the instructions are written that way. And that's something that we as designers can be mindful of when we're writing the pattern. Yes, exactly. And making those those notations of where and how these things might be adjusted for different body types. Um, I'm going to throw out here a designer name. We've talked and Jill Wolcott is really trying to do a lot towards creating sizing that is more inclusive because she actually looks at the body from the skeletal perspective because she realized that we were designing for this limited profile and there's a lot of people out there that no longer fit that profile. If you look at our transgender population, for example, they may have started with a male skeletal profile and then transformed into a female form, but they still have the skeleton. That doesn't change. And so they still tend to have the broader shoulders. They still tend to have the narrower hips. So how do you design so that any body shape can can knit successfully and it's it's a it's a numbers challenge it's a math challenge and it's one that Nikki and I are probably still scratching our head about every single day trying to think how do I make these numbers work for the widest population and as designers how do we include the suggestions of okay here's where you could change this if you're if you're this body shape yeah, and I've seen some different approaches to this, and there's one that comes to mind that I really liked. It was called the Block Party Cardi by Chase Harpool, and yeah, he, yeah. you know, yeah, that I one? know that one. I think, I, yeah, I do. Chase is great. That's how I connected with you. I'm like Chase. Yeah, yeah, that's he was right. A, it's because he was a, um, you know, he's 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 a knitting man, and I'm like, he's gonna have a cool tech tech editor. Let me reach out just because I knew we'd had that connection. I'm like, oh yeah, who's your tech editor? Like. Nikki Jensen. I'm like, great. Thank you. Keep going. I love Jess. Oh, great. Oh, great. I, I don't know if uh, I don't know if I knew that that referral came from him. I'll have to thank him. But uh, that particular design, he actually wrote two sets of instructions. Like um, if you have broad shoulders, work them, work, work the shoulder shaping this way. If you have narrower shoulders, work the shoulder shaping this way. So it wasn't even gendered instructions it wasn't like this is the female version this is the male version it was very specific to the needs of your body shape and I just loved that approach and I think that's where where Jill's coming from too it's it's looking at where does the skeleton start right and then how does do we add padding if you're a plus size person where is your padding? What, how much padding do you have? And then knit for that. 
because everybody has a skeleton. And what's your skeleton? And then where is your padding added on? And that's her approach, which is totally gender neutral in its in its thinking. But mm-hmm. it came from the thought pattern of, okay, there's all of these different body types. And those body types are adding pattern padding in different proportions because of how our society is changing and how we're becoming more accepting. Well, let's say some of us are becoming more accepting. We, yes. we're, we're trying to make it universal, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But the, the more we, we work on things like that, where we, we do look at it from the perspective of not are you a man or a woman, but you have this skeleton, you add padding in these areas. You may not add it in the shoulders. You may not add it in the chest. You may, you may add most of your padding in the hip region, right? Where is your padding? How much padding is there based on this skeleton? And how do you knit for that? And that's where we need to get to. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And we're having the same conversations in theater. And I've had the advantage of being able to work in theater where we work with such a large variety of body types and body sizes. And what do we do to compensate? Or I wouldn't even say compensate, accommodate. That's a better word. Accommodate for the bodies. And just like we, it's interesting because what I've kind of realized is I'm really good at Oh, I need to pinch this out here in a in a in a woven garment because it's an easy alteration to make as a seam. It's now the question is for me: How do I express this for the knitter? How do I say, okay, here are the instructions I make for how do you make this correction? Because no one wants to frog six inches of a shoulder seam to narrow the shoulder. So it, this this is interesting food for that for me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're taking the time to make your own clothes as a hand knitter or, or, or otherwise, then the, the whole point is to be able to make something that fits you well. And a good pattern should tell you exactly how to do that. Within reason. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Within reason. I, th- I think, you know, we've gotten to a point where we, where knitters expect exact instructions for every single body type in one pattern. If you go back to a pattern that was written in, say, the 1950s or 1960s, it was knit in one size. And then every knitter adjusted according to what they needed. Oh, 100%. And... And We've got to find a middle ground. We do. And it's interesting just because I follow a lot of historical customers too. Um, and it's interesting just because the knowledge base for people with sewing and knitting and just overall fit was much higher comprehension back then because people were making much more of their clothes. Plus clothes were a much higher investment at the time. Day-to-day clothes were higher investment than they are now. 
And what I think could be interesting to answer that question of is, and I think, oh, what is her name? Um, she did this lovely box pullover where she had bus starts. Her big thing has been bus starts lately. Um, and adding those, I forget her name. Anyway, um, but it's like, how can we do like a boot camp of like, hi, here are different ways to apply how to alter a pattern to fit your body with an existing pattern. Just because like, I, I like logistically, I can't always do spell out every single body type. And that's what I have had to learn along the way is how do I adjust patterns for my body type? I've been lucky along the way with some things with shoulders, but I agree with you where it's like, how do we help knitters figure out how to adjust how, that? Because we're not, our knitters today are not taught in the home the way they were back then. Or even in many situations, they were taught in school. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I went to school, okay, I'm considerably, considerably older than both of you. Let's just admit that. <laughs> And when I went to school, it was still mandatory to take what they called home ec classes at about age 12 to 15. And that included cooking, sewing. I don't recall having a knitting class there. It was mostly cooking and sewing. But it was mandatory. And it was mandatory for the boys as well as the girls. We all oh had God. to do at least one semester of home ec and so we were my generation was they were starting to move away from that a little bit but the following generations lost the ability to learn those things from their parents or their grandparents and their teachers and now we have a whole generation of knitters that didn't get the advantages of that. And therefore, they don't have the knowledge. So you're right. How do we write those boot camps? Maybe what we need to do, and this just occurred to me, so it could be completely off the wall, is to write a pattern that is nothing but how to add bus starts, how to do waist shaping, how to make armhole adjustments and that just kind of like you know the fish, fish lips kiss heel for a sock is nothing but the heel it doesn't include all the rest of the sock maybe what we need to do is come out with a series of patterns that address those adjustments that can be made to a pattern and how you approach that math now there's books out there, but mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I think it'd be good to have like a whole, like even like little workshop book, even of like, here's the common alterations in a garment. Here's how you adjust them. This is how you compensate for gauge. Here's how you compensate for yarn. Here's how you compensate for this. And it, it would require just a bit of, of course it's going to require math on the knitter, but it's never going to be perfect. Oh, hello. That looks knitting pa pattern essentials. Uh, Sally Melville's knitting pattern essentials, adapting and drafting knitting patterns for great knitwear is one of my go-to books for the math of different adjustments because she treats each area of the sweater individually. 
and gives you a worksheet for how to calculate the math based on your gauge and your information. It's, but when I'm doing grading, I can often refer to this to help me remember, okay, I need to use this formula to figure out for, you know, this size and then apply it to all the other sizes. This, this is, this is, I can't tell you how often I grab this book. <laughs> I'll, I'll have to grab a copy of it. It looks great. Well, and another thing, what I've been thinking about in, in regards to this is alongside all the crafting movements is a lot of people have been interested in making vintage patterns for themselves. And they're having the same questions, both in knitting and sewing, where all these patterns are written for smaller people, or it's not a greater range of sizes. And what we as theater people do for like way before YouTubers kind of figured this out and a lot of sewists have as well, is they create a basic body sloper with their measurements that they can adjust. And then they can take the pattern, they get the shapes out, and then they're able to play, apply those shapes to their sloper. And I'm like, what is the knitting equivalent of this? Because I love to do like, hey, make a sloper workshop with a class where we just get the paper and pencils out, take measurements. So we go over, here's how to take measurements. Because I've learned with my test knitters in particular, the biggest measurement people think with arm length is underarm, like armpit to the wrist. Oh no, it's center back to wrist. And people just don't have that intuition because people don't measure themselves anymore like they used to. Okay, I think we're figuring out class ideas now, ladies. I'm really appreciating yeah. this. We're going to write this all down <laughs> later. I'll listen to this again. Take we'll your notes. Take your notes, yes. I was going to yes. say, I think that um, kind of educating the knitter on how to look at the measurements in the pattern and determine whether they are the correct proportions for your own body is maybe more crucial than saying, if you want to add a bust dart, do it this way. If you want to add waist shaping, do it this way. Because you're right, you can't accommodate every body size in that way in every pattern. Like just giving the knitter a sense of what what the proportions in your sizes are so they can say, well, that that looks great, but I know that it's not going to fit my arm. Can I adjust it to my arm or whatever it is? Right. Um, just making sure that they have enough information to decide for themselves whether it's going to work for them. Because I know like shopping off the rack, I've learned that not every cut and style is going to work for my body type. And that follows in knitting patterns too, I think. Exactly. And I think it's a process and maybe the boot camp is how to learn your own body because we're so used to off the rack things. We don't know how to measure ourselves. And the other reason why I know my body so well is A, through my clothes and then B, I have my colleagues measure me for when I'm working on a new pattern, especially for a sloper, just because I need those measurements as a base. Um, I think this is this is a good idea of figuring out how do we help people learn their bodies a bit more and, and their body relationships in terms of measurements and proportions and all that, that makes, jazz. That, that makes me think of Amy Herzog and all the work she did on that, right? Mm -hmm. That's another good mm -hmm. foundation that, um, unfortunately, she's no longer doing her custom fit patterns, but her 
her books and classes are still out there on how to measure your body, how to see what your body type really is, and then how to knit for that. What what styles look good on this shape body so that you know where to start too? I think that, we're sitting on a gold mine here. I think yeah. we got to write this class. Boy, we yes, just we really do. dug deep, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> This is great. We threw all our prepared questions out the window, and I think we came up on something much better. <laughs> yes. No, it's like this is the best sort of process is just chatting and discussing it, and I love this part. I, I told you that the, the <laughs> questions are a foundation. All they do is give us a, a base for when we go, uh, what do we say next? <laughs> there are a couple of questions that that I tend to ask everybody, and I'm going to start in with those. Um, Do you knit other people's designs, and why or why not? I do, because I need to give my brain a break. It's nice just to go into autopilot and just knit someone else's stuff. Uh, What I really like to do in particular, and what I've realized with some current projects, some test knitting uh knitting ruined my life's Yildiz pattern Yildiz pattern um it's a bulky weight yoke color work sweater i'm double checking the name the Yildiz pullover that's correct and just because it looked fun it matched my style and i love to see how other designers and what their processes are and what i've realized with me and either test knitting or buying someone else's pattern is i want to learn a new technique or try a new yarn, something that I haven't worked with yet. With the Yildiz, it's spin cycles plump because I uh, my hearsay pattern was my first time working with spin cycle. Absolutely loved it and I wanted to try some of their other yarns. And then also what I really wanted to knit next is the Boulevard bag by Kate, uh, by Lily Kate Makes. Um, just because I have never seen anything like that before knitting. And I'm, I'm like- have to go look at it. I haven't seen it. It's a really fun kind of uh, cross ba- like body bag that looks, it's almost like a fanny pack, but not quite. And it has a zipper. She uses uh, zip ties and welts to add stability. And that just blew my brain. And I'm like, this is amazing. How did you do this? How can I take this apply to my own designs? What can we play with this year? So I'm really excited about that one. Um, so those are really kind of, that's what I'm thinking about when I'm doing someone else's designs is, do I need a break? What do I want to learn? What yarns do I want to play with, etc. Um, I'm going to just go ahead and 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 move forward and skip a couple of things, Nikki. So okay. <laughs> forgive me because of the way we've done this. Um, what is coming next? What is what is in the wings? And do remember. We're recording much sooner than this will air. So think about in terms of airing date, what's, what can your knitters expect coming up? Yes. Very good question. Uh, the biggest thing is this fall, I will, uh, one of my sweater patterns is, will be published in Tannis Gray's the official Nightmare Before Christmas knitting book. So you can take a look forward to that in September. Pre-order links are available. If you subscribe to my newsletter, you can pre-order. I did biasly only do Barnes & Noble because I grew up going to Barnes & Noble. I've worked at Barnes & Noble. My mom's worked at Barnes & Noble. So 
Support box stores more than Amazon. Um, I'm also in May. What will you guys know? In May, you'll know I'll be teaching a class with the Montana Yarn Bar in Billings, Montana. And working. I'm currently working on a workshop pattern for them. I don't really want to reveal quite yet what it is. It'll be a very fun scarf involving a very famous doll is what I'll lead to, which is probably, you'll all know who that is if, as soon as I said that. Um, I'm also working on um, the shorts pattern I mentioned. I'm hoping that'll be in test knitting by the time you hear this. And then also a few other summer patterns and some other collaborations that we're going on with different designers and uh, companies. So I'm just busy. Nikki, you're going to get a lot of stuff coming your way as soon as I get it done. (laughs) The best few few weeks have been a little busy, crazy. So try to get my act together, but it's been one day at a time (laughs) for the situation on my end. That's the designer's catchphrase. (laughs) I have learned that is totally because... A, a true designer has more ideas than they could ever possibly publish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? What did I tell you when we first greeted each other this morning? My, I was totally distracted because I woke up this morning with an idea. And that was all I wanted to think about. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I, I think I'm moving my way into true designerism. Um, <laughs> so um, what... You're a relative, I'm going to say relatively new designer in comparison to some of the people that I know and have worked with. Um, What suggestions would you give for someone who is thinking maybe they want to get into designing or maybe they haven't, they've, they've published like one pattern? I would say um, the biggest lesson I've learned with being a new designer is communication. Uh, one of my first test knits, I thought it was going to be intuitive that people got this email. Oh no, I didn't know about this until like two, three weeks before <laughs> the pattern was released. So I didn't have as many test knitters as I thought I had on board. Communications key, just like, don't, you don't need to pass your people, but just figure out early what works for you and where it works best for me. It's Slack because it's a simple one channel. I, what I tried to do before was a Google groups and like the invitation email got lost in spam. That's simply what happened. So when those mistakes happen, pick yourself, like, it's okay, move on. I've learned like, okay, remember this for next time, learn as you go. Um, Those are really the big things. Also, don't be afraid of trying something new. One of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite moments with my latest pattern, hearsay pullover, as on Instagram, I've never knit a brioche sweater before. I've only done a cowl. Should I still do this sweater idea? People were like, hell yeah. I'm like, great. We're going into this. So feel free to <laughs> jump in head first. That's honestly, it serves, has served me so well. People like Nikki and friends and family are willing to help you along the way to figure out how to help you get your idea across. Um, a current pattern I'm working on with Nikki. Um, I'm like, Nikki, this is the goal. I don't know how to get there because in my sometimes <laughs> what happens in my brain isn't always what works best on paper. And even me trying to write it down on paper is hard because I think so geometrically. And I've kind of realized I'm like a computer where when I see something, I see this point of a knitting pattern. I know to do this intuitively and it's not always intuitive to a knit, another knitter. So it's those kind of questions that I'm asking myself. Okay, great. 
And last but not least, where and how can our listeners find you and your work? You can find me on Instagram at paul.haze30, paul.haze30. Hazemeyer is way harder to spell. Um, you can also find me on my website, paulhazemeyer.com. You can also find me on Ravelry at paulhaze30, at paulhaze30. Um, I have a newsletter. I'm starting to do some more stuff on social media when I can. Instagram is usually the platform I use the most in terms of interacting with my followers. Um, yeah, those are the best places you can find me. Okay, well, we'll definitely have those links in the show notes for people so they don't have to spell Hazemeyer. Good plan. It's a <laughs> hard you one. Know, they don't have to say it either. And <laughs> let me tell you, folks, the very first question I asked him this morning was, how do you pronounce your last name? <laughs> I, 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 yes, because that's always the question. And um, when, when I was working on just preparing for a little bit for this podcast, I was listening to a few episodes and I listened to the episode with you, Nikki. And when you brought me up and you said my name correctly, I died. I'm like, oh my gosh, she said my name right. And my whole family was so excited. And it was, it was wonderful. Oh, phew. I'm glad I got it right because I don't even remember. But Okay. The episode coming out tomorrow as we are um, recording this in mid-April is with Happy Go Nitty, Helene Diemer, an indie dyer from New Zealand. Now, I knew not to call her Helen or Helene, right? Which is spelled Helene, but I had no clue. You know, it was like last name is spell is spelled D E H M E R, Diemer. She's from New Zealand, but she, well, she lives in New Zealand, but she's from Sweden, I think. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so yeah, names are a thing in this in this podcast. Believe me. <laughs> well, certainly because we meet each other online, we see each other's names in writing, but we don't always hear them out loud, right? I no, and no. I have an international client base. Yeah, for sure. And even my, my handle, Hannitz and Huga, everybody asked me, how the heck do you pronounce that? <laughs> well, that and I remember people's Instagram handles before I remember their names, honestly. That's that's been a, such a common thing for me lately. It's like, I know your handle. I do not know your name. Or like, wait, what, what's the name? What's the name? That's my second question. Oh yeah, yeah I've been I've been called out at the local yarn shop. Hey, you're Hannitz and Huga. Or however they think it might be pronounced. <laughs> All right. Well, Paul, it's been really exciting. I can't wait to to dig in a little deeper. And um, do me a favor. When you send me, well, would you send me a link to that bag pattern? I'm really curious. Oh, and yeah, I totally. also have some ideas about that spiral arm, I think. Sounds good. I'll send you what I have <laughs> notes wise. I have a little rendering done. I'll send you. I'll send you what I have and we'll chat. Lisa's going to be up all night. <laughs> oh, God. I, I'm going to sleep for the next two weeks, I guarantee you. All right, folks. I hope you've enjoyed this as much as we have. Paul, it's been so much fun. Um, thank you for joining Nikki and I today. And Nikki. Thank you for I, having me. I hope you have a great afternoon. 
Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Join us next time when Nikki and I entertain a very special guest and we talk writing those out-of-the-box designs. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you listen and join the conversation in our Ravelry or Facebook groups. For technical editing, find Lisa at arcticedits.com and Nikki at handknitsandyuga.com.